G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway Podcast, the podcast that's all about intermittent fasting. I'm your host, Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilograms or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and successfully maintained that weight loss. I'm also the author of the Amazon category best-selling book, The Fasting Highway, which will give you a great insight into what it's actually like to live it day to day, how to get started, what it's about, what are some of the health benefits that come from it, and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle. In this series of podcasts, you'll be hearing from people from all over the world, from the beginners to the experienced and those that are on the journey. You'll also be hearing from some leaders in the intermittent fasting community, and you'll also be hearing from some past guests as we recheck in to see how they've been going. And thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway. Enjoy the show. G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. And this is episode 140. And just before I get started with today's exciting guest, as usual, I just wanted to give a big shout out to those people out there that have been buying my book, The Fasting Highway, on Amazon. Uh, thank you for all the messages and all the great support. And I'm really glad that it's resonated with people all around the world. Uh, if you do want to get going with your intermittent fasting journey or you're finding that you're struggling a little bit and you want to get some information, uh, you'll find that in my book. There's 15 steps evaluation that you can take. Uh, there's tips on how to get started, what to do, and how to maintain it once you actually get the weight off and make it into a sustainable long-term lifestyle. Okay, folks, let's get on with today's guest, and I'm delighted to welcome back from episode 25, the delightful Tracy Dixon Neal. And Tracy is a moderator in the Fasting Highway Facebook group, and she hails from Onifero in the Waikato district of New Zealand. And Tracy's story is truly one of resilience. And anyone that listened to episode 25 that didn't have a, a tear in their eye, I'd be very surprised. It is a very emotional podcast. So if you want to go back and listen to that one first, then do that. But here we are catching up again with Tracy Dixon Neal. Welcome. Oh, g'day, Tracy, and uh, welcome back to the Fasting Highway and all the way there from Onifero in beautiful New Zealand. And it's so great to have you back, Tracy. But, Tracy, for those people that may want to go back to, I think, episode 26 you were on last time, what we might do for people that don't know you is just recap sort of your story and how it sort of led to intermittent fasting. So if you could just run us through that, that would be great. Okay, um, sure, and thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be back and having another another chat with you. Um, so I guess a quick rehash of, of my life and what's led me to where I am now is um, my parents divorced when I was three. Um, I went to live with my dad and my sister went to live with my mum. As a young woman, as an 11-year-old, well, young girl, as an 11-year-old, I was um, sexually assaulted by a uh, family friend, which um, that led to a very sort of prolonged, um, and the only thing I could really control at that stage of my life was my eating, and um, an 11-year-old mentality was if I'm fat and unattractive, I won't get hurt again so that led to a teenage teenage years of overeating um binge eating emotional eating um that was just how I coped with any sort of emotional upheaval um and then my stepmom left when I was 15 and it was just dad and I again so the eating sort of 
spiraled out of control again then. I dropped out of high school, um, became very reclusive, and at 18 ended up moving in with my mum, um, which was when I got introduced to diet pills, known as the Duramine, were the particular ones that I got hooked on. Um, and when they weren't working anymore, I was unfortunately introduced to um, speed and methamphetamine, which led to quite a prolonged period of, of drug abuse. And then when I decided to clean up my act a bit, um, unfortunately, my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer, which was at the same time that I found out that I was pregnant with my first child. So um, pregnancy, stress, uh, depression, that all led to, once again, my emotional eating. Yeah, it just went on from there. Babies, eating, depression. I lost a couple of babies and, um, yeah, everything just sort of sent me to the fridge or the pantry. So I was at 115 kilos when I discovered intermittent fasting. I mean, I knew this was going to be emotional for me and, and you listening to your story in the original podcast, I remember sitting there in tears. I mean, that's such a horrible thing to happen to you as a child. And, you know, your tale is one of resilience. And, you know, when I listened to your story again the other day from the previous episode in the car, I was just thinking, how resilient is this woman? How resilient is this person? I mean, it's incredible. You've gone through that assault as a child in a court case and being put on the stand and those pills sent you into a tailspin of methamphetamine addiction and you had that sort of mindset, you know, if I'm, I'm overweight, then men not might not find me attractive. I mean, for a small child, that's, you know, it's a horrible thing, but you've come through the other side through that. So when you first came to intermittent fasting, just let the listeners know when you first started and what your why was, how you got started. Um, you just said your sort of weight there was up to a high weight of 115 kgs, and we'll just go from there. Sure. So um, I was actually going to the doctor about a recurrent um, abdominal pain that I had been suffering from, um, and we couldn't get any answers as to what was causing that pain at the time. Um, but <laughs> the doctor sort of as some doctors do was more focused on my weight than what my my problem actually was um, on the day and my doctor suggested that I go home and do some research on intermittent fasting because he thought that it would be something that would fit in with my lifestyle being um, a mum of a, a busy young family um, so uh, yeah, I was a little offended um, by the suggestion, but as you say, I'm also uh, quite a resilient character or uh, quite a stubborn character. So I was determined to prove my doctor wrong because I could see in his eyes that he didn't think I was going to do anything about my weight. Um, yeah, I think he thought I was a little bit of a lost cause. So um, I was determined to prove him wrong. And that stubborn streak kicked in and um, I went home, I googled intermittent fasting and I started after dinner that evening and the rest, as they say, is history. I haven't missed a fast in the two and a half years following that appointment. Wow, that's incredible. 
So it's two and a half years, Tracy, since you started. You got up to that high weight there of 115 kilos when you went to your doctor. And for American listeners and Northern listeners, that's about 260-odd pounds. What height are you, Tracy? Uh, I'm 169 centimetres. So I'm not sure what that is in feet. Okay. Uh, about and five so, foot eight, five, seven, five, eight. But, you know, when you first started, what was your protocol? Why did you choose that? And right from the start, were you clean fasting? Did you know about the clean fast back then? I was actually very lucky that I did. Uh, from the get-go, I, I started clean fasting. So I chose to do 16-8 to begin with. I'd always been... Uh, I'd always skipped breakfast anyway. I'd never been a breakfast eater. So that just felt like a natural fit. I think my problem was, um, like a lot of mums do, I'd get up and have that sweet milky coffee first thing in the morning. And then uh, I would, I'd pick, or you'd getting the kids' lunches ready. You, you know, you'd lick the jam off the knife, getting their breakfast ready, or all those sort of. So while I wasn't eating in the morning, my insulin was just uh, consistently high from the little nibbles and the little licks of bites or whatnot. Um, so I started with 16.8 and I would, my window was from 12 lunchtime till 8 p.m. each day. So that would fit in with my family quite well. The kids saw absolutely no change. Mum was still having a coffee in the morning before they went off to school and mum was still eating in the afternoon and the evening with them. So it, it didn't impact um life for anyone else either which was that's been my big thing for being aware of um my children and having a teenage daughter as well I already had an eating disorder by her age so I was very uh aware of not impacting on her or giving her any sort of odd ideas about eating yeah I think that's fantastic how many kids you got four is it uh, I have got four, four lovely little um, children that range from, well, my youngest just turned five yesterday, uh, and my oldest is 17. Frankie, by the way, and I hope she had a great day, and mum spoiled her, and no doubt she did, but, you know, with the four kids, and as you said, you sort of started that protocol to fit around, I mean, obviously you're preparing food all the time for your kids and your partner and that sort of thing. And with your fasting, and, and how did you sort of fit that in being a busy mum and trying to fast at the same time? Um, I, I, I guess I've been creased, or my, my fasting window increased and my eating window decreased, um, was not being able to taste things as I went. Trust the other people in the house to become the taste testers. Um which has been kind of good for them, I guess, as well, because now food gets prepared in a way that it just it just fit. There was no real big upheaval. It, it hasn't really impacted um, anyone else, or yeah, no, it just it just sort of flowed from day one. I've been quite lucky like that, I guess. Yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, obviously, with four kids going through school, that sort of thing, and I want to talk about that a bit later, but. You know, that's sort of, you know, what's your total weight loss now, um, Tracy, over the two and a half years? Uh, I'm just over 43 kgs now, or uh, I think that's around 95, 96 pounds. I'm, I'm still gunning for that 100 pound. I just, I, it's, it's just something I want to do. I want to tick that off. I think that's a good way to be. I mean, your transformation is truly jaw-dropping. 
I mean, I've seen thousands of transformations over the years, but when I look at your photos, I just see incredible transformation, and I can't imagine what that's been like for your family. I mean, especially for kids going through school life and that sort of thing, and from being, you know, if you don't mind me saying it, you know, when you're an obese person, and now mm. you, you're totally not that. I mean, has that been a big difference for you, for your kids in going through school life and the way people sort of interact with you, or that hasn't really changed a lot despite what size you were then and now? Oh, no, that's definitely changed. <laughs> that's definitely changed. Um, I guess a lot of that has got to do probably with my confidence as well. I was always, uh, when I was at my largest, I was pretty happy to just sort of um, blend in and, and not be noticed. But uh, And maybe it was the confidence level in me as well. Maybe it made me a little more unapproachable, but... Uh, I didn't. I didn't talk to the other parents. I I wasn't approached for conversations or um, included in things as much as I am these days. That's definitely changed. Um, and I guess I want to be more involved. I was very, especially having teenagers, the young kids. They, they don't. They don't even see the weight so much. I don't think. Um, but being a mum of teenagers I was very scared of embarrassing them um I, I didn't want to be present in things I uh, I didn't want to go to awards or performances or things like that because I didn't want to embarrass them I didn't want people to be like oh my god is that your mum um I, I was very aware of that side of things um whereas these days it's kind of it's actually quite nice to to rock up to their performances and stuff because a lot of the time people don't actually recognize me anymore. My kids are actually really proud of come and, and that being noticed. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, myself going through a transformation that, you know, and people haven't seen you for a while. I've had people that have known me for 20, 30 years walk clean past me in the street. They didn't even know who I was. And then when I spoke to them, they were like, holy hell, what happened to you? And then, you know, that reaction, obviously, we've been in COVID the last two and a half years or whatever in, in New Zealand there. You you guys were locked down like a lot of us. And so you probably were restricted from seeing people for a lot of the time that you went through that transformation. So it must be now when you're catching up with relatives and there's more events and that sort of thing. That must be mind-blowing for you when you get those people's reactions. Um, the visual <laughs> side of of things it takes takes me speaking for them to realize who i am sometimes which is always fun yeah and i think when you've been through a major health transformation and you, you have changed so much it's that reaction of people they look at you and they don't quite know what to make of it they don't know whether you've been sick they don't know whether you had some sort of operation they don't know what and then when you tell them about intermittent fasting they go what's that and then you sort of get into it a bit and you know that's when I find that you know I've had people that are really interested in it and they come back to me. I do find that and I, I've had a few I was very cautious actually about being public um, like on my Facebook page with my journey and my weight loss because I was still even though I've done extremely well and I'm very happy with where I am these days I'm still quite embarrassed the fact I'd let myself get to where I was at my heaviest so um, it took me a long time to to actually own that and be proud enough 
to sort of go public with it. Um, but I've had a lot of, uh, when I did, when I actually did some side-by-sides on my Facebook profile and, and talked about intermittent fasting quite publicly, my, my inbox just blew up. Like it was insane how many people wanted to know more about it, wanted information on it, wanted to know how to get started. And um, I've sort of been doing my best to keep checking in on those people and, and be supportive. It's not it's not for everyone, I guess. There's a few people that have started that have sort of trickled off for which I I struggle with. I don't like I like I keep saying I've been very lucky that this has just been the perfect, absolutely perfect fit for me. Um, I'll never be able to go back to eating um, in society's ideals of what normal eating is because I just I just don't like the way it physically makes me feel these days. Um, but yeah, I've found that people want information. I bumped into a school mum that I haven't seen for a couple of years when I was doing groceries last week. And uh, there was a few sort of a profanities um, in her exclamation about how different I was looking. And um, we got sort of chatting. She said, oh, do you do keto? Because another mutual friend of ours does has had huge success with keto. And I said, no, 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 I do um intermittent fasting and she was like oh I've got no idea what that is and so I sort of you know gave her a quick rundown and and then the woman behind the counter that was scanning my groceries so she, her ears sort of pricked up as well and she started asking questions and it was the same sort of thing stood there for a, for 10 minutes sort of um giving these guys the the basic tools in the box to to make some changes in their own life if they wanted to. But I do, I get that a lot. I get that a lot. But then you get the other side of the coin as well where, you know, I was up at the school um, a couple of weeks ago and saw one of the teachers I hadn't seen for a little while and, and she was like, wow, you're looking amazing. You've lost so much weight. And I said, thank you very much to her. And, and then she said, um, was it intentional? I, I said, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, of course it was. Um, but it took me by surprise. It wasn't until I got home from the school visit that I was like, what does that even mean? Was it in, intentional? Like, I didn't quite know how to take that. And then, you know, the penny sort of dropped that maybe, yeah, maybe she thought that I had been ill or um, that the the weight loss was from some other some other reasoning um, rather than just wanting to, to do it for myself and better my health. But And then you get someone that I thought had been sort of one of my biggest cheerleaders um, throughout my weight loss journey turned around a couple of weeks ago and, and told me I was looking terrible, that I was looking drawn and um, haggard and that she thought I was anorexic so you you get the um the bad with the good I guess um and it's surprising once you lose weight how you're up for public consumption like people can suddenly talk about your weight and voice their concerns whereas no one was doing that when I was morbidly obese and I find that I find that quite hard to get my head around like where was the concern when I was actually killing myself with food you know that's a that really resonating with everything you just said then was it intentional wow what a stupid mm. comment it's like no actually the fairy godmother just waved a wand and it just fell off you know of course <laughs> yeah. it was intentional i mean you know we don't not be intentional when we do things like this i mean that's just a crazy thing and then the other person saying that's totally wrong because i've got to know you and i'll, I'll see you a lot and 
you certainly don't look like any of those things. You look like a beautiful, stunning woman, and what you were before as well. And um, so those sorts of things, when people comment like that, you've just got to you know have with a dose of salt. I mean, I've had it all. I mean, I'm I'm a public person, as you know now, so I get trolls all the time, right? Yeah. Sending me messages saying, "Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You look like crap, whatever." And you know they say things like that when you know you don't. So, and when you know you don't, you just think, "Well, okay, well you can think whatever you like." But a lot of that comes from inner jealousy as well. And that person that you were talking about, they might have tried it. You know, they couldn't do it, and that's their way of fighting back to say, "Well, you don't look well. You don't look like this. You don't look great." But you know you do, and everyone around you knows you do. That loves you, and so that yeah. person, I would just put in the forgettery and. You know, just put them off the Christmas card list and that's the way I do it. And I just end those conversations with, hey, you do you for you and I'll do me for me because I know this is working for me. But that's a really interesting point, what you made about how different people interact with you these days, which I think is a pretty sad thing as well. But let's talk about sort of your eating window now right from the start, Tracy. Are you a person that's always eaten all the things in your eating window right throughout this sort of near 100-pound weight loss now? I have always eaten all the things. Um, Just in the way that if I want something, I I won't deprive myself. Um, I've definitely changed my eating habits in the way that I just naturally gravitate towards making better choices now like it was Frankie's birthday and she wanted to go to uh, she wanted to go to Burger King for dinner which I was just absolutely dreading um but you know she I I chose not to eat while we were there I waited until I got home and had a steak and salad and um my usual sort of fare um but I had a I picked it a, a couple of nuggets she wanted me to have a sip on her hideously sweet frozen drink so I had a sip on that so I do I do eat all of the things technically but just in the in the way that I yeah I don't deprive myself if there's something that I want there's nothing that is um in a in a bad food basket as such I don't cut carbs or count calories or any of that sort of thing if i if i feel like something i'll eat it i just want to delve into a bit that emotional eating that you talked about driven by those horrible things that happened to you as a young child and then later on with the drug addiction and that sort of thing how did you disconnect from emotional eating into sort of a more normal sort of eating sort of process? How, how did you go through that and what did you do? What were the steps you took to disconnect from that? First was actually giving giving myself a little bit of grace and accepting that that was what the problem was. I'd never really realized, I guess, that I was an emotional eater um, until I started fasting and then had a, a bit of an upheaval um, one day and thought I'm going to eat I'm going to break my fast early and I'm going to eat and then it was kind of like the penny drop what, why? Why, are you gonna, why do you need to eat and then it just sort of like the light went on and I realised that that's what I've been doing my whole life like whenever there was stress or if something bad happened I turned to food for comfort and I, and I realized that that's, that is how I had dealt with what had happened to me was I sought solace in, in food. And then that just became the habit. 
Um, but then there was also the other side where if something good happened, I would quite often reward myself with food as well. So once that penny dropped, once that light sort of flickered on and I had that realisation, it just sort of all fell into owning that that's um, what it was. That's what it had always been. And once I took that on board, um, it just sort of, and I still catch myself. There are still, there's been a few sort of stressful things that have happened um, in, in recent months. And I have had that fleeting thought of, bugger it, I'm just going to finish my fast early and have something to eat. But um, I, I haven't actually done it. I've always reined myself in. I've had that little devil and angel on your shoulder sort of routine where, I've been like I don't I don't need to eat, um, and so I've always completed my my fasts, um, and I feel so you feel better for it too, being able to give yourself that little pat on the back. But it's as I say, it's something I've done for forty years, so it's probably going to take a, a little while to completely disengage from that mentality when when there's stress. So yeah, that's a great thing, really, that you've been able to disconnect from that you know, an emotional sort of, you know, triggers and that sort of thing, if you like, that drive you to that sort of eating that caused that sort of obesity back in your previous years. And I think a lot of us were eating for emotional reasons as well. Not only that, but when you do get very obese, you sort of have that sort of shame aspect. And for me, I was a closet eater. I used to eat a lot of my car. Nobody could see me. Nobody could judge me. So I was a real car eater. I was always eating in my car. That's why I was a big drive through king. I was going through three or four times a day, unbeknown to my family. And I always used to carry cash around with me. Never used to use cards because I didn't want anybody seeing the receipts going through the bank accounts of me going to the fast food places all the time. So one of the things I actually did when I when I sort of gave all that up, pretty much cold turkey, was I stopped carrying money on me. I stopped carrying cash. I stopped carrying cards or anything because I was only going to work. So if I had petrol, I was fine. I had a reliable car. All I had to do was go to work and back. Yeah. And so that really helped me because if I didn't have the money, I couldn't feed the addiction that I had. And I just cut it off at its knees. And I think that's an important message for people out there to listen to that when you are trying to stop something, don't have something on you that's going to drive the addiction. And I mean, yes. that's the biggest thing, I think, Tracy, with fighting addiction. I mean, yours was driven by emotional aspects of your life and that trauma that you sort of were pulling through from those horrible events in your life. And as we talked about at the top of the podcast, I mean, resilience personified here. And <laughs> now you've taken up a whole new lifestyle, rewired the whole way that you've eaten. And what does that doctor say now when he sees you, by the way, that put you on to intermittent fasting? He must be mind blown. I haven't had to see him again since then. I haven't needed to go um, to the doctors about anything. And I was there. Uh, Frankie had appendicitis um, a little while back, and it was a follow-up visit from her surgery um, where I actually requested to see John because I – I didn't know when I was going to see him next. So um, so he popped his head into the consult room when we were having Frankie's dressings changed and he had no idea who I was. He had absolutely, he had to go back into his room and look me up on his computer um, and he was just absolutely gobsmacked. Um, yeah, had, had no idea who I was. So he came back in and, and was very, um, very happy, very proud. Big congratulations um, so yeah, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. A little bit cocky in saying I think he'll probably be recommending it to um, a few more of his patients these days. I mean, obviously your doctor, 
he found out about it from Sarah Cull, I think, uh, our good friend yes. Sarah down there in New Zealand, and she works in a medical practice. Um, just tell us about Sarah and what she's doing down there with people with intermittent fasting. Oh, Sarah's amazing. Um, yes, uh, my my doctor, John, he did find out about it at a convention, I believe, where Sarah had been um, talking about her role as a registered nurse in um, reversing type 2 diabetes in her patients with intermittent fasting. So, And she also runs a New Zealand intermittent fasting page that, um, that I'm a member of as well. And she's just... Yeah, she's doing some absolutely amazing, amazing work down here. And what they've done is they've taken people into their clinic with T2 diabetes and have been treating them with intermittent fasting and they've written up dozens of case studies of the success stories that they've had. And the evidence is undeniable. I know Sarah's presented at um, a couple of medical conferences to doctor there's doctors there and, and she's doing great work. So thank you very much for that, Sarah. But Tracy, you know, dropping that amount of weight must have been you know, post-obesity life for you now, all the things you can do now that you couldn't do before and that you're looking forward to in the future. I mean, a simple visit to the shops here in downtown Onifero, the metropolis that it is, just to buy sort of clothing and that sort of thing must be mind-blowing for you now that you can just go up to Auckland and go in the beautiful boutiques here and, and buy any dress or whatever you want now. And, you know, whereas before, as you know, when we're obese, we're restricted. How's the clothing situation been for you? And just talk us through the sizes and that sort of thing. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy different. And it, it's taken a long time to get used to, actually. Um, I, I don't know comparatively, um, you know, what the sizes are like for uh, Kiwis versus um, Americans and, and people in the UK and stuff, but... Uh, personally, I was a size 26 um, when I started intermittent fasting. Now around a size 12. So I've gone from being sort of a double to triple XL to uh, a medium in most things these days. So that, that's been pretty crazy. And it's still, still hard to get my head around actually um, – because as you say, when you are obese, morbidly obese, you've got like a little section and sort of tucked away in the corner of the shop where, um, you know, there's a few selected items and you kind of just have to buy what fits you. There's no option to really have a personal style or even a lot of things to choose from. So I was just, my uniform, as I called it, was basically like, leggings stretch stretch pants and um big oversized tops um because i i was also very aware of how i how other people looked at me i didn't want to be offensive to other people so it was always very baggy sort of swampy things um whereas these days skinny jeans and sort of fitter tops and um I went to a cocktail party a few weeks ago and and it, it was the other side of the coin. Like my husband used to hate it if we were going out somewhere because there would be a temper tantrum, like because I had nothing to wear and I'd have a meltdown, usually end up in tears and stomping my feet and not wanting to go. 
Um, and now he's, he's got the flip side of the coin where he's still waiting around for me to get ready. But it's because I'm like, well, I don't know what I want to wear now. Like I've got like three or four different outfits that I could use and I don't know what one I want to wear. So he's still um, sitting waiting for me, but there's no temper tantrums involved these days. And like I say, I went to a cocktail party a couple of weeks back and it was, I, I was trying on dresses and stuff that I had tucked away in my wardrobe. Still don't fit me, but they don't fit me anymore because I've missed the boat. Like they're too big and I've had to go and donate them to the local charity shop. So it's it's crazy. I still gravitate towards clothes that are a little bit too big for me when I'm trying things on and have to try on two, three, four sort of sizes to to get down because I just can't mentally believe that a size 12 will fit me now. Um, so it's it's pretty cool. There's, that's, yeah. you know, one of a, the big non-scale victories. There's been a lot. Um, I was writing down a, a list of non-scale victories, actually, and, and it's crazy just to look at how much life's changed, how much more present I am and, and how much more I participate in um, these days. There's even something as simple as going swimming with my kids you know I would never never in a million years have gotten in the water I've, I've got teenage kids that have never been they had never been swimming with me um which is quite sad but it's quite cool that that's something that we do now on a on a regular basis so um yeah nuts to think how much life's changed that's incredible what a dramatic drop in clothes sizes that is. For my North American listeners, you're talking about a 26 here, which is a 22. So when you talk about New Zealand sizes and, and down here in Australia, we just subtract four sizes to relate to the US. That's how we do it. So it's 22 in the US. So you went from a 22 US down to about a size 8 or something like that, which is absolutely crazy, which is a size 12 in New Zealand. And that just opens up the whole Pandora's box, doesn't it? Like you probably read about me, I became a clothes horse and Lou was forever seeing his packages arrive of you clothes and me coming home with bags of clothes. And, you know, now my wardrobe's been pretty constant for three years. It's, I've had all this beautiful clothing that I bought and I'm able to sort of wear it year in, year out because I'm exactly the same size. And now I have a wardrobe that's all one size. So every winter it fits me, every summer the stuff fits me. I don't buy a lot of clothes now because I've still got you know, clothes from years ago that are still fitting me. Whereas before, I had about five different sizes in my wardrobe all the time and it was going up and down, up and down all over the place. But that's certainly freedom in itself. But sort of you mentioned there the non-scale victories and you wrote down, let's just run through some of those. Well, yeah, one of them was the, the clothes shopping. That's that's awesome. Um, really enjoying that. Um, I think one of my earliest ones was I hadn't been able to wear um, my wedding rings. It would, yeah, it was well over a decade actually. Um, probably about twelve years since I'd been able to fit my wedding and engagement rings. So that was nice to be able to wear them. Now I've got the opposite problem where I'm probably going to have to go and have them resized because they're a little bit loose these days and swinging around. Um, uh, one of the most heartwarming ones, which I've discussed with you before, I believe, was when my little, my little boy, um, number three, um, when he exclaimed, when he gave me a hug one day and, and was like, mummy, mummy. And I said, what, what, Leaf, what's going on? And he was like, my hands can touch. When I hug you, my fingers can touch. I've never been able to do that before. So that one was 
that was pretty cool. That's still one of my favorites actually was just that, that look of complete wonder um, on his face and how excited he was to, to fully be able to embrace his, his mum in his little arms. That was pretty cool. Um, the big, biggest one, I guess, was, uh, as I mentioned, when my doctor first put me on to intermittent fasting, I was um, there to see him for a recurrent um, abdominal pain that I was suffering from. Um, and over the course of the last couple of years, um, it came to light that that was actually quite a big um, hernia that I had had um in my in the side of my tummy um and when i went to see a specialist about the hernia and they did some scans and stuff um they also found that i had a condition called diastasis recti which is uh like complete separation of the stomach muscles so where your stomach muscles would normally meet in the middle mine it can happen for a various reasons um i've had cesareans with um two of my children um being morbidly obese and pregnant um i i got up to like the 130s you know 130 odd kilos when i was pregnant with the kids um so it could have been that just being obese and being pregnant there's a multitude of reasons that can cause that um but i was looking at surgery for removing the hernia and to have my stomach muscles sewn back together um once again those doctors they love to focus on your weight I'd already lost 30 kilos at this stage but my surgeon told me to go away and lose a little bit more weight he wanted me to lose another 10 kilos um because it would make it easier to reattach the stomach muscles because he wouldn't have to pull them um quite as far across to stitch them back together so um another little tantrum on my part i went away and, and um had a few choice words to say about this overweight middle-aged man telling me i needed to go away and lose some more weight um so i said i would see him in a year and when i went back a year later um he couldn't actually find the hernia to begin with because it had shrunk so much so that had gone from being nine centimeters uh to he he could barely feel it he said he thought it was around a centimeter maybe close to two centimeters um and the diastasis recti so the stomach muscles which were completely separate so both sort of flapping around on the side of my tummy um were actually at that stage 75% reattached so they had managed to find each other again and started um, meshing up so I will be going back in a couple of months to see him again um, just out of nosiness he just wants to see how much more he's never seen he's never seen that happen before without surgery so I managed to completely avoid um, going under the knife for the hernia removal and the um the meshing of my tummy muscles again so that's been my biggest non-scale victory was was um just what my body has done all by itself and and that explains you know there's been quite a few sort of plateaus in the time that I have been um fasting but yeah you never give up when you hit a plateau because you just you have no idea what is going on 
inside absolutely no idea I was blown away I was you know I was um, nervous about going in to have the surgery and and I don't have to anymore so that's been my biggest biggest one um, and then there's other ones like uh I don't suffer from hay fever anymore. I used to be quite heavily medicated um, with antihistamines and stuff during the summer, um, especially being in a rural community with um, all the, the farmers out and, and their tractors and all the pollen coming through the air. But I haven't had to use any antihistamines at all in the last two summers. And we're, we're just hitting spring here, so coming into my third summer as a faster. So that's cool, knowing that there's no no medication needed um, and just things like energy levels you know they're through the roof I sleep so much better than I ever have um, just the general sort of inflammation that's gone um, a couple of weeks ago I I was coming into the house and my husband said to me oh how are those stairs and I I shot him one of those um, death glares that, that wives can be quite famous for. And um, I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, oh, no, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't being rude. It's, you're actually jogging up the stairs. Like, you've never done that. You used to sort of creak and groan and, and heave and sigh when you were walking up the stairs. But these days, you, you know, you don't even know that you're jogging up the stairs. So there's just so many non-scale victories and, and – I think we get a little bit too focused on the scale sometimes. I know I'm I'm guilty of that. Um, I'm a daily weigher, so you know sometimes it's it's good to shift the attention off the scales and and celebrate all those little non-scale victories and the big ones because there's some there's some huge ones there too. Unbelievable that hernia! Wow, that is incredible. Like if you told anybody that story, they'd think you're crazy. I mean, a hernia shrinking from nine centimetres down to a centimetre. That's just mind-blowing. And I know for myself, you know, you've heard me talk about the psoriasis, and I, I can't wait to go back and see that guy one day because he took all these photos of all of my psoriasis on my hands and my knees and my elbows, and he said to me, Graham, you will never get rid of this psoriasis. You've got it for life. It's just part of who you are. It's got nothing to do with your diet. It's who you are. And within six months of intermittent fasting, the psoriasis completely disappeared off my body. And so I'm really hanging out to go back to that guy. And then he's going to get the photos out and he's going to look at my hands and my knees and my elbows and go, what happened there? And so then you're able to tell them about it. But so, yeah, I'd encourage anybody, you know, obviously medical issues we have to discuss with our doctors, but certainly we've heard this so much in the intermittent fasting community. It can't be coincidence. And what you've just talked about there is absolutely incredible. But Tracy, I mean, obviously, you're going to have a lot of people gravitate towards you more after this podcast from around the world that hear it. And your story is so amazing. Um, I can't tell you how incredible you are. And we should tell people at this point, too, that you are a moderator, in fact, in the Fasting Highway Facebook group. And you were the first person to put your hand up to be a moderator when I first started the group because... I thought, well, I can't run a group without moderators. And I think back in those days, Tracy, we had like 200 members or something. And now we've got something crazy like 7,300 in a short space of time. So do you, tell us about your role as a moderator and what you enjoy about the Facebook groups. Um, yeah, I'm the OG. I'm the, uh, the, the original moderator in your group. Um, it was just a nice cozy little group when we um when we were first starting out and I put my hand up to to give you a hand there um 
it's still a nice cozy group it's just a way bigger <laughs> cozy group i i love the fasting highway it feels like a very safe space um everyone is very respectful and um you know there's generally no sort of problems at all um i i enjoy it um when i first put my hand up it was about um accountability for me being involved in in doing that thing with that sort of thing which is you know just approving members approving posts um sort of helping out where where we can giving advice um from our personal experiences and stuff but yeah when I first put my hand up to do that to join as a moderator that was um accountability for me um I thought it would keep me honest um keep me on the the straight and narrow as I found my footing um but I, I really enjoy it I that's I only belong to um the fasting highway and to um Sarah Cull's New Zealand page um I have joined other pages um in the past but didn't like the the tone or um I guess the way people were interacting and stuff. These two pages feel like very safe spaces and um, just good people, good, supportive, loving um, people that have that have genuinely got your back and are genuinely, um, you know, kind and, and interested and want the best for um, other people who are on their uh, shared journey. Thank you and um, thank you for everything that you do. And a big shout out to our other moderators there too, and um, Fifi to Fufi and um, Donna and Ava, of course, and you know, and all the other moderators that have served with us as well. Without moderators, we simply can't run a group of that size because I need to sleep. And Absolutely. so these guys in America and all that sort of thing, they keep the wheels going, and Tracy keeps the wheels going early morning for me before I get up and have a look to see what's going on. So thank you to all our moderators. And, yes, please do come and join us here in the Fasting Highway Facebook community. But, Tracy, before you go, I want to tap into your experience. If you're sitting in a coffee shop there in Onifero and you're having a conversation with a group of friends and you're trying to tell them how to get started on intermittent fasting, what sort of words of wisdom would you give them and what sort of advice would you give people out there that are just starting out or they're thinking of looking into intermittent fasting and they might be battling with their weight a bit? Biggest bit of advice, I guess, is, is patience and perseverance. I say it all the time. Um, there's, uh, there's no quick fix. Anything that promises to be a quick fix is uh, you're not going to stick at it because there, there's just no such thing. Um being really like when I started I went into it as a long-term thing I said I'm going to give this a year and see where I'm at um and after a year I I was I'd lost 28 kilos um so obviously knew that this was working for me um but I think yeah my biggest things are, are being patient um, and, and persevering. There's been a lot of plateaus um, in my time and times where I could have and probably previously would have thrown in the towel. Um, but I, I know with the fasting that there's so much going on behind the scenes as well. So, and just giving yourself grace. I mean, be, be kind. I've had to learn. I've been so mean to myself um, throughout the course of my life. I've I've spoken horribly to myself. I've had horrible thoughts about myself. I've berated myself and and been quite quite nasty um, to myself. 
and and I've abused my body on so many levels over the years. And so I've, I've really had to learn um, and change that mindset and learn to be kind and, and gentle and loving um, of myself. So that's what I would encourage people to do. Um, take it one day, one fast at a time um, and, and be kind. We're only human, you know, like you do muck up sometimes and that's okay. It's about getting up and, and dusting yourself off and forgiving yourself um, and just getting on with it. With it. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, Patience and perseverance and, and just be kind. And that's the thing. When you flip that switch and you start loving yourself first and you start talking about yourself in a more positive light, then everything else around you starts falling into place. It's just having that love for ourselves. But anyway, Tracy, I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been to have you here with me on the Fasting Highway. Thank you once again. And anyone who wants to go back and listen to Tracy's earlier story, uh, you'll find that in episode 25 of the podcast back in December 2020. Anyway, folks, until next week, we'll see you then. Bye. Oh, thank you so much, Tracy. Thoroughly enjoyed catching up with you again. And as we said in the podcast there, anyone that wants to go back and listen to Tracy's original story way back there in episode 25. And what a story of resilience it really is, Tracy. You just go from strength to strength and your life just keeps on improving. And I really congratulate you and your partner and your family there on what you've been through and how you've come through the other side. We look forward to catching up with you in the future and thank you for all the work you do as a moderator in the Fasting Highway Facebook group. So if you want some more of Tracy, come and join us here in the Fasting Highway community. Uh, That's the Facebook community. Also, folks, uh, as we heard there, if you also want to get a copy of my book, uh, you can get that on Amazon and both paperback and Kindle. It really helps with the podcast and keeps things going without commercials interrupting all the time. So that's my book, The Fasting Highway. Anyway, folks, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.